This episode of the Braun Body Podcast, I'm joined by Jimmy St. Louis. Jimmy played college football at Auburn University and then went on to play professionally for the Tennessee Titans. After his time with the Titans, Jimmy went on to compete in CrossFit and later as a member of the U.S. National Rowing Team in 2016. Along that way, he's had so many different business endeavors, which we discussed in the first part of this podcast, all the different things that Jimmy's done across his life. We then discussed Jimmy's personal approach to health and fitness, specifically nutrition. This takes us right into Jimmy's latest startup called the Cognitive Health Institute, or CHI. For more on Cognitive Health Institute, you can visit cognitivehealthandwellness.com. You can also click the link below in the description. Before we get into the show, quick word from one of our sponsors. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on, man. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So you have a amazing background. I don't think I've met too many people with the resume that you do from playing two D1 athlete, uh, two sports at Auburn D1 level, playing in the NFL. You were a competitive CrossFit athlete, and then you were a member of the 2016 U.S. rowing team. Like this is incredible how much you've done. So can you kind of share a little bit about your background and that journey that you've been on? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I've just been an athlete and kind of focused my whole life on big goals. And uh, so I can maybe walk back from when I was a kid. Uh, my parents were in the military and we did a, a bit of traveling around the country because of that. Um, I kind of got my athletic base from living in uh, Seattle, Washington, where uh, I learned after I moved from Seattle, Washington, it never lightnings or thunders, but rains all the time. So you <laughs> kind of learn to just do everything outside. And uh, it really just is an amazing place to grow up as a, as a kid. Uh, and we moved from, uh, from there to Kansas, where I got to play a little bit of AAU basketball at Allen Fieldhouse and became a Kansas Jayhawks fan. And yep. um, after that, we actually, my father uh, was out of the military. We moved to North Alabama and um, had a bit of a, a, a culture change going there. Didn't really know much about uh, the you know big time high school uh, football programs and all that and was um, found it to be very interesting. I actually didn't start playing football until my second to last year of high school, so my junior year. And uh, I had been a decathlete in track and field and had played basketball and I just kind of stumbled into football. But it just so happens my best friend was one of the most highly recruited uh, football players in the country, Wesley Britt. Uh, he played for Alabama, played for the Patriots for a number of years. And because of him, I started getting noticed as well. I was uh, big and could run a little bit. And so we started getting recruited all over the country and uh, had the chance to play D1 football. Uh, so I signed at Auburn and uh, got to have a really fun career there. And um, just at it's part of really just an awesome team. We had a bunch of first rounders on our team uh, back in 2005 and just got lots of great exposure. Uh, so after that, I signed with the Tennessee Titans and got to have a, a couple years stint with them. It was, it was fun. Um, I would say it was definitely different from going from a major college program to, uh, to the NFL, uh, where it's really a job and this kind of dog eat dog world. And I enjoyed it and got to do it on and off for a couple of years. Um, but I was, I was ready to move into a, a professional business career. 
And uh, I, I did graduate my undergraduate degree in three and a half years, and I'm actually triple mastered. So I have an MBA, a master's of finance, and a master of telecommunications. Um, so I made my way up to, uh, to Wall Street and worked at Deutsche Bank for a couple of years. My plan was to be there for five years, um, but I ended up leaving after two and chased a tremendous opportunity down in Tampa, Florida. We founded a nationwide network of minimally invasive spine surgery centers. And we did it at the time that Google AdWords was just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. So we changed the business model pretty significantly in healthcare, started marketing direct consumer. And four years later, we had 1,500 employees and had treated 50,000 patients and had the largest network of spine surgery centers in the world. And um, it kind of catapulted my my business career. So I can pause there and explain. I was going to say, I'm blown away by everything you just said, man. I, is there anything you don't do? Like you've tackled the business world, you've tackled the athletic world, and now you're tackling the health world. It seems like the sky's the limit for someone like you. Uh, I'm curious, what brought you into the spinal surgeries? Was it the business opportunity, the health side, a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Uh, my parents were, my father was a spine surgeon and a uh, mother was a nurse. And so just had an affinity towards healthcare. I have an older sister as well, who's also a surgeon. Um, I, at that time, I just didn't think going into medicine specifically was for me, uh, but I did have a desire to create a business and try to find a way to help people along the way. Uh, so we found some pretty interesting investment partners and um, that's, that's kind of how we got into it. It was, it was a bit of, um, of good timing and luck and maybe a little bit of skill that helped us to grow that company. Uh, but it was just a, a tremendous run and we had a lot of fun and that by growing a company that large, it really gave us the chance to create these tentacles in the marketplace, which is how I've been able to get into some of the other things that I'm doing now around cognitive health because of the relationships and the amount of people that we were able to help. It really helped us to open doors to this whole world of healthcare and have the chance to be able to help a lot of people. During that time, how did you keep your own health and fitness in check? Because Shortly after that got going, you were competing for CrossFit. You were involved in the U.S. rowing team a little bit. So was that something that you kept going consistently throughout that time? Or was it something you kind of found after things settled down, so to speak? Yes. So after football and after Wall Street coming down to to Tampa, I was still trying to find ways to compete at a high level. So I actually competed um, internationally in triathlons for about three years. And um, was got to travel all over and go to Ireland and uh, London and was up in Canada and um, over in Hawaii and just had the chance to participate in a number of different triathlons. And I thought that would be fun. Um, my body size isn't necessarily ideal for uh, for for a super competitive triathlete, but I did well. I would usually finish kind of top three to top five in all the races um, and enjoyed that. And that was really just kind of my segue into what I would do next and just looking for just something fun. And one of my buddies said, hey, you should come try out this, this CrossFit thing. And CrossFit is actually how I found rowing. So I'll be happy to get into that story. 
competed in CrossFit for, for four years and um, qualified for the CrossFit regionals every year as an individual. And it just, the, as you guys probably know, the world of CrossFit changed significantly from, I think when I started in 2011 through 2016, it just, it changed from, Hey, we're going to, you know, have regionals with 60 people in, in a barn to, you know, super competitive, these ultra, you know, strong, amazing athletes, but had the chance to compete side by side with them and do pretty well every year. Uh, so that kind of kept my competitive juices going. Right. I think I remember reading, I think it was 12.1. It was the uh, AMRAP burpees in seven minutes or something like that. And if I remember correctly, you did 190 which, you know, that's no small feat in itself, but you're six foot five and 240 pounds. That's a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I came, um, actually came back from a business trip. I was in Nashville, uh, meeting with uh, Symbion healthcare and had been up there all week and just hadn't really had a chance to focus on that, that first, um, that first event. So <clears throat> I took the the cab ride home before uber and um went into my garage and set up a camera and just did it and then <laughs> went inside and had dinner and went to bed <laughs> so, on time i don't blame you for going to sleep right after that that would that would knock me out for a week that's impressive <laughs> and then after the crossfit you said you progressed right into the rowing from there so at the uh crossfit regionals in 2015 uh, we had uh, the workout called Jackie, which I think is a thousand meter row and um, thrusters and uh, I don't know, something else. I don't even remember it at this point in time. And so um, after that event, some guy walked up and said, hey, you should consider entering this rowing competition. It's called the Crash Bees. It takes place in Boston every year. And it's the indoor world rowing championship. I was like, oh, cool. That sounds fun. I enjoy this. I just found it through CrossFit and would do it during some of these wads and enjoyed it. And I said, sure, I'll give that a shot. And that was um, in February of the next year. So I just kind of started doing some living room training for it. I would just go on the Concept2 site and do some workouts. And uh, so I showed up to the Crash Bees and um, ended up doing pretty well. So, you know, there's people from all over the, the world there and ended up finishing third. And uh, the, the guys from the U.S. rowing team said, hey, you know, rowing in a boat is significantly different, but you've got the fitness and we could, the, the program could use some help. It could use some hype. It could use a good leader and uh, someone who's played sports at a really high level other than rowing. And uh, they said, how would you feel about trying to learn the sport? And uh, they said, said, sure. So I ended up, they placed me with this coach named Carlos Dinaris out of Seattle. He created this rowing machine called the Row Perfect Machine. It really teaches you uh, how to flow in rowing and how to catch when you're up at the, the top of the stroke and just how to connect with the water and all the stuff that you really never learn how to do on just a concept two rowing machine. And so I flew out there and I spent two weeks with him and they sent me back home with a number of things to try to work on in preparation for an event uh, that's called the national speed order. And the national speed order takes place at Princeton at one of the U S training facilities for rowing. And you do a six K on the, uh, on the erg or the concept two. And then the next day you have roughly a 3000 meter race 
in a single, in a, in a you know, individual boat. And um, went up there and uh, in the 6K road sub or pulled a sub 19 minute one, which is roughly like a minute 33 or so per 500 meter average. And um, uh, finished in the top 10 of the guys up there. And they're just like, wow, you could actually, you know, make a difference in the sport for us. <clears throat> and so I just kept training and just uh, did pretty well in the, in the single and then flew out to California. I joined uh, the, the program out there, the national development program, and just kept competing and training and just kept every day since the sport was new to me, but I really knew how to compete um, and had a really strong kind of cardiovascular base and then just strong fitness in general. Uh, I was probably, I would say I was significantly physically stronger than all the other guys there, but I just didn't know how to row. So every day I just kept getting better and better. And the guys were super helpful. Um, I think until I was able to start to compete at the top and then after <laughs> that, it started to, we started to duke out, duke it out a little bit more, but it was a fun story for them. And, um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, there's, funny that CrossFit led me to that. And then that actually, I'll be happy to get into the story about how that led me to uh, the world of cognitive health that I'm doing now. But um, it was um, a lot of fun. And I did it for an 18 month period, got to compete in the Olympic trials and did well, competed at a national level and won a couple medals and just kept getting better every day. That's incredible. And I love how casual you were just like, yeah, you know, I broke out the concept too one day, did a couple workouts. And then next thing you know, you're like, yeah, I placed third in this indoor tournament. And then I won this. It's incredible how, you know, when you have your health in line, everything else just sort of falls into place. Since you are someone who's very passionate about health, and you've been involved in a lot of different physically demanding sports, such as rowing, CrossFit, like we've just talked you have to have a good dietary base as well. You know, this nutrition is essential. So what's your kind of personal dietary philosophy? How do you go about planning what foods you eat, what you don't eat? Is it a weekly thing? Does someone else do it for you? How do you go about uh, approaching diet? So my philosophy on, on diet actually really started to refine it while I was at uh, the U.S. training center. Uh, but I did have two ACL tears in college. And so the... Um, the recovery process is important and intense, right? You want to keep playing. So I started to do some research on faster recovery and it all just kind of pulled me back to inflammation and how do you reduce inflammation to speed up your recovery? And when I was at the training center, I was just learning the sport so much that I had to spend double the time on the water and double the time on the machines that anyone else just had to work, 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 work. And in order to be able to do that, you've got to be able to sleep and recover. And so I started to do some research, spend some time at the both with Andrew Huberman at the Stanford School of Medicine, and then remotely until I was able to go in person with the guys at University of South Florida with Dom Diagostino. And we, they are just masters of sleep and recovery. And then Dom really studies uh, the science of the ketogenic diet. And where we started to look at some things from a, from a recovery perspective are there's really two things I think are, are really important. Um, gut health is very important. And then when you're training, you know, fuel is very important. 
Now, the ketogenic diet works hand in hand with the need for fuel as an athlete, in my opinion, largely because it's a, it's a fat adaptive, fat-based diet. And your body burns calories from fat twice as slow as it does from carbohydrates. And so as an endurance athlete, uh, learning those things and learning how to become fat adaptive and go into a fat adaptive state is, uh, is very important. That's actually how I got into what I'm doing now. We started to do some research on gut health and how gut health, if it's in poor shape, causes systemic inflammation. And that systemic inflammation can cause a variety of autoimmune diseases and neurodegenerative diseases. And they'll be happy to go into the science around how those things happen. But from just a meal perspective, to answer your question, I, I believe in more of like a modified ketogenic diet. Uh, it's not a true ketogenic diet. I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding of what a true ketogenic diet is. A true ketogenic diet is someone who lives in ketosis, who's 90 plus percent of their calories are coming from fat. And it's primarily done for true um, medical benefits. Like uh, they do it on studies for ALS. It was originally really created for children with epilepsy. That's what the true ketogenic diet is. But I believe in a modified ketogenic diet where you still pull in a lot of the fruits and vegetables and fibers and some portion of the proteins and, but you're still geared towards more of a fat adaptive state. Definitely. So kind of walking through that one by one here, I cannot agree with you more on the importance of becoming fat adapted for endurance athletes. We know that when you're fat adapted, you actually work at a lower respiratory exchange ratio than if you're relying on carbohydrates for fuel. So the same workload will actually feel easier because of how your body is producing energy through its cellular level. So that's part one is it's just going to make everything easier Two, you talked about the inflammation. And I really want to dive into that because that's something that's so misunderstood. And we talk about something like gut health. A lot of people are uninformed on how important gut health is for their overall well-being. I think the stat is like 95% of serotonin in the body is produced in the gut and 70% of your immune system lives in the gut. So a lot of what we do on a daily basis, whether that be our mood, our ability to experience pleasure, our ability to fight infection, which is obviously spotlighted now by COVID, uh, all these things literally are housed in the gut. And a lot of the foods we eat are a constant beat down to the lining of our gut and the microorganisms which live within them. So when it comes to specific foods, that you usually avoid or certain foods that you usually include in your diet? Is there anything that you're like, I always have this, or I always avoid this, or are you pretty open with things? Sure. You know, so from a dietary perspective, I, I believe that everyone's gut microbiome is made up differently. You know, it, it's an ecosystem within itself. And it's really important to arm yourself with the tools and the information necessary to make those decisions. Now, I think generally speaking, we know what's healthy to put in our body and what's not healthy to put in our body. But when you're talking about optimizing your gut health, our makeup is different. So we actually, uh, we recommend taking, doing a gut health uh, test kit or a health intelligence test 
we actually work with a company out of Seattle called Viome uh, Healthcare and uh, V-I-O-M-E. They, what they do is they send you a kit in the mail and then a couple of weeks later, you get this large volume of, it, of information back, dietary do's and don'ts. This is the food to put in your body. This is the food that you're not gonna respond well to. And there'll be things on there that are shocking. I mean, it's gonna be, maybe you can't have spinach, avocados and raspberries and you've been eating them your whole life, right? And, and it doesn't mean these things are permanent, but there can be some things in your gut health makeup that have those things have a bit of an adverse response. So when it comes to really truly trying to find a way to significantly reduce systemic inflammation to help with recovery and then to help with prevention of certain autoimmune diseases or neurodegenerative diseases, it's important to focus on the true do's and don'ts. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't take a, a prebiotic and a probiotic. It doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't eat you know, healthier and be sure that they're putting the right things in their body. But when it comes to making those specific decisions, I utilize a kit like that, that helps me to understand the do's and don'ts. And then what we actually do, and I'll be happy to walk you through the details of Cognitive Health Institute, but what we actually do is we take those results and we have thousands and thousands of recipes. I take my personalized results and then the stuff I can't have, we code it into our system and it produces only recipes that I can eat that help to optimize my health. And it's still pretty open. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of different foods that you can still eat. And I just kind of memorize the things not to put in my body. And um, it's, it seems to work. That's awesome. Now, is that a AI-based algorithm or did you build it yourself? How did you go about determining uh, that recipe algorithm? Sure. So of course, Viome has their own, um, you know, their own machine learning system that helps to aggregate a lot of different data and help to understand what truly are do's and don'ts. On our side, uh, we've, we've built these things out manually over the last couple of years. And it's really as simple as when you get the 15 or 20 different things you can't eat, we just omit them from the recipes and then we kick them out. And then on a monthly basis, uh, our customers and patients get a personalized guide for them every month with 90 or so different recipes in there that they can, that they can choose from. That's awesome. That's incredible how you're using a individualized custom tailored approach to gut health, because a lot of people I've seen use a very shotgun based approach. Like, well, you need to eat more vegetables. Okay, that'll work for most people. But like you said, what if you're sensitive to spinach? What if that yeah. kind of messes things up and leaves you feeling fatigued or bloated or gassy or whatnot? And that's another piece. I feel like people don't understand that what we consider normal, like that 2 p.m. crash, you know, feeling bloated after you eat, that's not actually normal. A lot of those things uh, tie back into inflammation of the gut. So since you're focus and specialty with Cognitive Health Institute is cognitive health and preventing neurodegenerative diseases. How does the inflammation in our gut cause those uh, neurodegenerative diseases and cognitive health impairments? What's, what's the tying mechanism there? So the easiest way to describe it is that inflammation permeates the brain barrier, which can um, interfere with the brain you know, perceptors and their ability to talk with one another. Um, and so as, as I go into that science, um, I think it's first important to say that there's been a lot of confusion and just misinformation about, let's say, Alzheimer's or mild cognitive impairment uh, to start. Uh, if you look at the large majority of people who actually develop Alzheimer's, 
do not have the genetic predisposition. There's a gene called the APOE4 gene, and the more strands of it you have, the more likely you are to get Alzheimer's. However, Alzheimer's is now being called diabetes type three. And it's largely because a large majority of people now are starting to believe that it really comes from gut health or lack thereof. To describe the, the system that causes this neurodegenerative disease to happen, call it Alzheimer's or myocognitive impairment. When you have an unhealthy gut, you have an imbalance of the good and bad bacteria in your, in your gut, that bacteria begins to permeate the gut lining. And when that happens, it enters your, your system and then your system is trying to fight against it. So it calls all these, uh, all these healing agents there to try to fight against it and it causes inflammation. Inflammation, the intention of inflammation is not for it to last forever, it's for it to last long enough to heal. But when you have this bacteria running around in your system, it's going to cause your body to be fighting against itself for an indefinite period of time. <clears throat> At some point in time, that inflammation begins to permeate the blood-brain barrier. And if you were just to say, kind of knock on your desk, you know, for several hours, at some point in time, there'd be a dent and weeks or months later, there could be a hole. It may seem like that wouldn't happen, but over time it is going to happen. That's what happens with the blood brain barrier. That inflammation beats up against it. And at some point in time that begins to permeate the brain barrier, which then leads to cognitive impairment. That cognitive impairment is caused sometimes by that protein plaque buildup that takes place. You know, eventually it's in there, it starts to crystallize, it develops amyloid plaque. That is a big reason why chronic inflammation leads to these different diseases. And so part of the theory around our emphasis on gut health is let's reduce inflammation and that's going to help with cognitive impairment. There's also some other interesting things related to the dietary approach on even just the ketogenic diet that can be healthy. So for example, <clears throat> there are some drugs, uh, I think mannitol is one of them, and mannitol has the ability to permeate the brain barrier. And mannitol is often uh, utilized to help with diabetic patients. Um, ketones also have this natural ability to permeate the blood-brain barrier. They can go in and they can go out. So the theory is that these ketones have these natural healing properties. They can easily permeate the, the brain barrier and they can help to reduce inflammation. They can help to activate the glymphatic system at nighttime to help your brain get that flush that it needs uh, to help your brain really have its health begin to turn around. I love how you took that mechanism, which you know most people would think is pretty complicated. How does the gut connect to something way up here and broke it down step by step and said it's all about inflammation and when we have that inflammation it becomes a systemic problem it starts in the gut but it kind of spills over into everything else and there's a whole lot of other benefits that go along with everything you just discussed from the uh, ketogenic diet to optimizing the gut health so first and foremost that comes to mind for me is that serotonin shift. So we know 95% of serotonin is produced in the gut. 
as we eat, especially high carbohydrate type meals, which the American diet is very heavily processed carbohydrates, we produce insulin to shuttle that increase in plasma glucose we just saw in response to the carbohydrates we just ate. We shuttle that into cells for storage and we store it as fat. But insulin does this other thing. Since it goes throughout your whole system, it acts in the brain tissue. The brain uses glucose for fuel as well. Insulin is so good at storing stuff, it also stores serotonin in the brain. Serotonin is the precursor for melatonin. So we see all these people who they complain about chronic fatigue and just being tired and not really energetic or alive. And you look at their diet and it's largely processed carbohydrates. And the whole time their body is taking serotonin and converting it into melatonin because of what they're eating. And that's you know, the next level of this, you describe that first mechanism, but there's so many other mechanisms in play. Uh, I'm curious, do you do anything with the uh, parasympathetic nerve activation with through the uh, vagus nerve in the gut as well? Is that something that you've explored? So I, I think uh, a couple of things there. One, uh, I just learned a lot from you on that too. So <laughs> thanks for explaining that. It's uh, very, very cool. Um, and I imagine also um, before I get into your answer that we talk about this activation of melatonin and uh, people are even just as simple as wondering why they're not sleeping well, why they're constantly tired. And when you look at that's a great way to help them understand that your diet is causing that, right? Yeah. You're, your, your hormones are acting crazy. Also, you're just continuing to punch yourself with melatonin, which is going to you know, activate those sleep receptors as well and cause you to feel drowsy. So that's, that's an interesting uh, connection there. And then we treat it with caffeine, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> which, um, which, you know, there's a whole other discussion there around, um, you know, like some people can metabolize caffeine very quickly. Some people can drink an espresso at dinner and go home and go to sleep. And some people really struggle with that uh, right. as well. Yeah, there's a number of different uh, variables in there that, that that's why I really like the, the personalized gut health approach. Because, uh, you know, there's going to continue to be an understanding on what's healthy and what isn't. But for when you really try to hone in on what's healthy for you, it's important to have that information. There, yeah, there's definitely. a book you, you may have, um, gosh, it's probably 10 years old now. It's called the Dorito effect. Um, and I believe it's been a while since I've read it, but I believe in at least kind of the opening couple chapters, they talk about this gentleman who is on a road trip and he says, you know, I'm, I'm so used to eating food to help keep me up. I'm just going to eat healthy this time. And I'm going on this cross country road trip. And so he goes to the grocery store and he buys a bag of apples he's got water and he's got apples and he eats apples the whole way on his road trip. And by the time he gets there, he's sick. And then the next time he eats an apple, he breaks out into hives and he started to develop uh, an intolerance to, to apples and um, started to get sick from them. And the point of it is that every food healthy or not still has a level of toxicity that it's going to cause and you've got to be able to have that that proper balance so you know that i think it's a funny but interesting example of somebody who had great intentions and they want to eat healthy but may have not had that detailed personalized knowledge about themselves to understand what would work well for them and what wouldn't i love that you brought that up 
I'm very interested in work from Dr. William Lee of Harvard. So he has a book called Eat to Beat Disease. And he looks at food the same way we look at uh, pharmaceuticals. So when we prescribe a pharmaceutical drug to someone, we know that there's a therapeutic window. So we try and kind of hit that therapeutic window. If we give too little, we get no benefit from the pharmaceutical. If we give too much, we get a ton of side effects that we don't want. So we have to balance within that minimum effective dose to you know the maximum level the body can tolerate while still getting positive effect. We have to balance that window when we prescribe a medication. And he looks at food the same way. Some people might do really well on one cup of green tea, but five is too much. Some yep. people might do well on one apple a day, but five is too much. Same uh, concept with your reference to the Dorito effect book there. And it's interesting that he points that out because food is more than just, you know, an apple is more than just an apple. It's everything that went into it, whether that be the chemicals that were sprayed on it or the way it was handled, was the fruit bruised, so on and so on. So it's interesting that you brought that up because, I mean, that's a whole separate discussion is just the quality of food and how we as a society look at food and uh, how we can better improve our relationship with what we're eating. Yeah. You know, um, that's why, so for the, the hundreds of customers that we have now, we, we just started this subscription-based um, health and wellness program, uh, but it's been well-received. Uh, that's really what we're seeing that the intention is for most of them. Um, some of them are fearful. Maybe they had a a loved one who has struggled from a neurodegenerative disease. Um, some of them say, I want to prevent that from other ha from happening. We had a patient yesterday who was doing it because she was recovering from an Achilles tear, right? And she's just saying, I, I believe that inflammation causes my problems and I would like to be able to, uh, you know, to heal. Um, <clears throat> some of them may say, Hey, I don't have the best relationship with food. So if I can feel confident that you're prescribing something that's personalized for me and is food I'm going to like, that's going to help me have a better relationship with food because I'm not going to be working from home and grazing in the kitchen. And I'm going to know exactly that when I put something in my body, it's going to make me feel good because it truly is good for me specifically. So, you know, I think that's just, it's such an interesting dynamic of, uh, of different types of individuals that we're having the chance to treat. How do you approach the parasympathetic uh, nerve approach to optimizing gut health? So things like the vagus nerve have rich innervations in the lining of the gut at the ileocecal valve. Is there an approach that CHI uses to optimize that relation? So ours is as simple as we, so the, the program is when you sign up, you, you get the kit in the mail, uh, you get a health intelligence kit and the health intelligence kit gives you back, of course, the dietary do's and don'ts, the emphasis on superfoods. Uh, we have access to, through uh, the ability to compound into a single supplement, um, all the supplements you need um, into a daily pill specific for you. Um, and then they get a, a panel of inflammatory markers. And then what I think is really cool is they get a, a biological age, right? So you may be younger than what your age actually is, or you may be older. Um, we have not done a lot of research related to the parasympathetic nervous system and uh, in correlation with the vagus nerve and how 
Um, our dietary components can help, but I would tell you that through personalized, through personal training, um, when I was training for the rowing team, uh, this may take us on the other sidetrack. Hey, I'm um, here for it. <laughs> we, we started, so I, I engaged with Erin um, Cafaro. She was a two-time Olympic gold medalist and her husband um, is Brian McKenzie. And so, yeah. So I've Brian, heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Brian uh, and I became uh, good friends and I went to their home and to their gym several times to train with them. And he, he's actually how I met Andrew Huberman and uh, those guys at Stanford. And um, Brian was friends with Wim Hof and we're in Brian's living room and Brian showed me these different breathing techniques for one, really how to activate the parasympathetic nervous system and also utilize these breathing techniques to significantly reduce your uh, recovery time during training intervals and how to regulate your heart rate during, you know, these competitions. Uh, for those that haven't done an all out 2000 meter uh, row on the concept two, it is probably the hardest thing in sports, in my opinion, for, for that very short period of time. You cannot do that type of race every single day. You will destroy your parasympathetic nervous system. And so when you, so but when you think about that type of training, training and rowing is very, very intense and recovery time is important. And the wear and tear that you put on your body um, is significant. So I would tell you that we utilize these breathing techniques, um, of course, kind of started by Wim Hof and uh, Brian turned that into a true algorithm that would be different for each and every person. Uh, you could do it during stressful times, during recovery, um, like, you know, during a time that may be upsetting to you. Like, for example, I just don't like traffic. And so when I'm sitting at a red light that I don't think need, that I don't think belongs there, it bothers me. And so he teaches you these, these simple little tactics to do to kind of help to downregulate yourself uh, as well. So from a dietary perspective, I'd love to, to learn more and hear more, but there are some things that we prescribe from a breathing technique perspective um, as it relates to the parasympathetic nervous system. I'm glad you brought that up because breathing and mindfulness are a, a little bit trendy right now, but it's incredible how powerful these basic things can be. And I think this speaks volumes to the overall health of our society in the 21st century. We like to think we're getting healthier because life expectancy has been increasing for quite some time. However, we look at the fact that so many people struggle with just the ability to breathe properly. I see it from a physical therapy side quite a bit. When I was in clinicals over the summer, I can't tell you how many people I was working with who had altered respiratory mechanics. So their ribs weren't moving as we normally see ribs move during inspiration and expiration. So just resetting the body and getting back to the basics, right? The ability to breathe through certain patterns in through the nose, out through the mouth. Um, you've probably done some of the alveolar uh, breathing as well, where we uh, try to stent the airways through pursed lips. Uh, and going back to cognitive health and diet, just the ability to eat real foods, you know, avoiding things that are heavily processed and come from a lab, that sort of thing. If you get back to the basics, you can really reclaim your health. 
it's not like any of this is, you know, we, we could get into the rocket science side of things a little bit, especially when we talk about Andrew Huberman. Uh, the guy is like a walking encyclopedia, but it, it's really basic stuff that anyone can implement into their life. You know, you don't have to be uh, Jimmy here with the NFL background to really take charge of your health and wellness. And I'm really glad that you and your team have started this Cognitive Health Institute to start to kind of make people realize that, hey, I can actually make some differences here. Hey, I can make some changes. Uh, really love the work that you've been doing there. With the Cognitive Health Institute, how can people get involved? How can people learn about what you do? Where can they find you? Sure. So cognitivehealthandwellness.com um, on, on the website, uh, there's a, a whole wealth of information. We're adding dietary recipes every day. We're adding our top tens on there. So we've got our top 10, you know, podcasts, our top 10 health and wellness coaches. You know, these are all just uh, things to help give people resources so they continue to want to go back. Um, but we did launch and the the cart will actually be live later today. Um, but we've had people who have contacted us and say, hey, how do I sign up for this? So what we did was we created a subscription-based service where people sign up and they pay an, an initial fee. And when they sign up, they get in the mail, they get their health intelligence test kit. The health intelligence test kit, of course, is going to provide them the dietary do's and don'ts, their superfoods, supplements, inflammatory markers, biological age, those things I mentioned before. <clears throat> when we get that information and they have that available on their account, they can log in and see at any point in time as well. We then take all the dietary don'ts and the, their dietary do's and we provide them every month they get electronically and then in the mail they get all the food they should be eating. So they get their 90 plus recipes for breakfast, lunch, dinner. They get snacks, they get their tips and things to focus on uh, for the month and their log. And um, they do that over the course of, you know, every month they get that in the mail. And then every six months we, we retest and we will show them how their inflammatory markers have reduced. Of course, their, their dietary do's and don'ts will likely change as their gut health starts to change. They'll also see their biological age start to change. So they'll see themselves start to become healthier, which is a really cool thing. So we just created this simple system where there's an initiation fee after that, they paid $99 a month and they get this customized program in the mail. They get their, their personalized supplements in the mail as well, and they can just march along on their health journey. Uh, so that, that's how we created it. We've got uh, several hundred people signed up for it now, and we really just got it started. It's um, been really well received, and I'm getting the chance to talk to a lot of really just interesting, motivated people from all walks of life. It's been a very fulfilling, uh, rewarding thing uh, for us and for our customers. Definitely. That sounds awesome. Now that 99 a month, that covers everything, even the supplements. So when they, so they pay 499 up front, which gets them the test, gets yep. them the initial guide and gets them their, their first shipment of supplements. <clears throat> the $99 a month does include the, there's a prebiotic and probiotic that we would prescribe to everybody. Mm -hmm. If they want to uh, have their own personalized supplements that come from the gut health results they get, gets compounded at the group in Seattle. Uh, that's an additional uh, 149 per month. 
where that gives them their, um, all their dietary do's and don'ts, gives them their, all their supplements and they get that sent to them on a monthly basis. That's not bad at all. Uh, I think a lot of people really don't realize how, you know, we see something like $99 a month and we're like, holy cow, that's a lot. But I can't tell you how many times I come from a really small town. Uh, the average household income is, I, I think, below 30000 a year, last I checked. And I can't tell you how many times people walk into a vet clinic and they hand over two or $300, take care of their dog or their cat for 10 minutes. So my question to people who say, you know, $99 is too much is why are you not willing to invest a pretty small amount compared to so many other so many other things we spend money on in your own health and well-being because this is what will lead you up to a longer more successful more fulfilling life overall no one wants to end life in a diseased state for any reason and although your uh, business is the cognitive health institute this helps pre prevent a variety of other diseases uh, it's pretty hard to find someone who develops type two diabetes or metabolic syndrome, for example, when all of their health markers are in line. We just don't see that. That's not the mechanism. So I, again, I said it before and I'll say it again. I love what you're doing at CHI and I'm just really impressed and blown away by the overall model, because this is something that, you know, the country really doesn't have anything like this to the best of my knowledge but we've never needed it more than the present. Yeah, we probably have never needed it more than the present. Uh, <laughs> I think we're also um, craving knowledge now and there's a wealth of information. So craving knowledge that's, that's clear and understanding that that's, that's what, what we are trying to do is to make this just a simple to understand process. And sometimes when we speak with customers and patients, the response is that's it. It's like, yeah, that that's it. That, but we're giving you knowledge that you never had before. And at least now, you know, your relationship with food is going to be healthier. You know, what to put into your body. You're really being given information that you probably you may have spent your whole life not knowing, and you may have spent your whole life misguided. So we, yeah, we do consider it an investment into your, into your future health. Um, of course, people are going to put food in their body anyways. And we think that there's ways for them to look at uh, this program as, as a cost saver as well, or, you know, right now they're, they're going to know exactly what's put in their body. We can help them with the healthy recipes and now they're able to budget and they're able to plan. Most of our patients aren't overly concerned about, uh, about the cost because they do see that now they know exactly what to put in their body, that they're able to save a little bit of money along the way also. Definitely. I, who makes up your team at CHI? What, do you have doctors, nurses, uh, who, who from a health and medical side of things uh, constitutes your medical team? So the co-authors on the book were, I'd work with Andrew Huberman and then with Dom D'Agostino on, on the book and the concept right. for the um, It was also originally inspired by, and we utilize a lot of content from Dr. David Perlmutter as well. So those guys served as consultants early on for us to just uh, gain a, a wealth of knowledge in there. Um, and then we have a team of, uh, of programmers behind the scene who are programming the monthly recipes, right? So they're, they're taking all the dietary do's and don'ts and for uh, 
John Smith in Rhode Island. They are taking his results and they're creating his monthly uh, do's and don'ts based upon those results. And then we have you know, our, our fulfillment team who's working to send out supplements and test kits and, and our guides as well. Um, and then we have, we have uh, 11 contracted content writers uh, that uh, write all of our content for us and they're out there researching. I actually read, I'd say I read 99% of, of the content before uh, before it goes out from a content perspective. And then we have editors who are who take a look at the content and make sure it's fits brand and all that. Um, and then on the medical side, uh, we consult with uh, Progressive Medical Center. Uh, we have a couple of their teammates on our, um, on our team, and they're the ones that are helping us to refine our medical protocols uh, as well. And then um, that, you know, that, that makes up our team. So we've got kind of a, a widespread team of uh, consultants, advisors, and um, then direct teammates who help from a patient services perspective. That's incredible. You've got the full package all planned out there. That's awesome. Jimmy, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today about cognitive health, inflammation, the CHI, or anything else that we've discussed? Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple of things that are important. One, it's it's never too late and never too early uh, to to start on on your health journey. Uh, people do come to us from all walks of life. They may say, "Hey, I'm worried because I do have a genetic predisposition. I'm you know I'm 20 years old and I just watched my grandparents suffer from this." Or we have people later in life who say, "You know, it's." it's gone too far. I don't feel good. And we say to them, it's our goal to help your quality of life match with your length of life, right? I think the, the healthcare community is so stuck on longevity and how long people live. They're not focused on people living to that, to that last day into their hundreds, happy and healthy and feeling good. And so for, for us, we believe that our program, a personalized program that provides real dietary do's and don'ts is going to be a, a catalyst to help, I think, change the way people think about this, but also do it in a manner that's easy and attainable and sustainable for people to still really enjoy their, their life and enjoy the holidays and enjoy the fun things they like to splurge on, but also have the knowledge to know what to put in their body and to help them live a long, healthy life. Spot on. That's what we're all after, after all, right? I mean, that is kind of the holy grail of living, how to be able to live healthy and long and disease-free while also enjoying life. Awesome that you're kind of producing that roadmap for people to follow in a way. Eliminates the guesswork. It eliminates the countless hours, you know, Googling this or Googling that or hiring this coach and, you know, they messed it up. So I hired that one. Like you have the best of the best involved with your team. Someone like Andrew Huberman, that's practically a household name when it comes to um, neurological health and well-being, as well as a lot of other health and well-being. He's really an expert. So again, I really love everything you're doing. Uh, if you're listening, please make sure you go over to Jimmy's website and check out everything that they're doing. You can find him at cognitivehealthandwellness.com. Jimmy, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. Really nice talking to you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. If you like this episode, do us four quick things. First, head over to Brawn Body on Instagram or your favorite social media platform and make sure you're following us. That way you stay up to date with everything we're doing. 
Second, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Third, if you could share this episode with a friend that you think would benefit from hearing the information we shared with Jimmy, we'd really appreciate it. Last, if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. That way we know how we're doing. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.